Hello, my name's Natasha Nabanunga Bamblet. I'm a proud Yorta Yorta, Kurnai, Walpri, and Awadri woman. And before we get started on She's on the Money podcast, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which this podcast is recorded on Awadri country, acknowledging the elders, the ancestors, and the next generation coming through. As this podcast is about connecting, empowering, knowledge sharing, and the storytelling of you to make a difference for today and lasting impact for tomorrow. Let's get into it. She's on the money. She's on the money. Hello and welcome to She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. Welcome back to another Shop Back Money Diary Monday, where we get to chat to one of our community members to learn about them, their money, their finance, all of the fun things in between. And Victoria, I've got a long one to read to you today. Are you ready? Ooh, a long one. Yes. Take it away, my love. Our diarist says, at age 15, my older sister and I found ourselves in government housing on our own due to a turbulent home life. I worked five days a week in retail as well as going to high school, but eventually dropped out at age 18 to start working in a brothel to make lots of money quickly. I had big plans to work full-time in the industry, but everyone around me told me I was young and dumb and I needed a different career. So I got a job working as a flight attendant for a few years. Fast forward to age 21, I found myself a single mum. I worked part-time as a flight attendant and part-time at the brothel, but found that too many commitments was overwhelming and exhausting, so I quit the flying career and became a full-time sex worker a few years later. At age 23, without a dollar to my name, me and my now husband, who I had only been seeing for two months, signed the contract on a block of land, and I had 11 days to come up with a $21,000 deposit. Thanks to sex work, I was able to make this money in such a short period of time, and that purchase has set us up stunningly. I am now 31 years old, I have another child with my husband, two investment properties, and life is very financially different than it ever would have been if I had not decided to do sex work full-time. At the beginning of the pandemic, me and my husband lost the majority of our incomes overnight, and I had to pivot from in-person sex work to creating an OnlyFans, which has now taken over as my main source of income, and in-person sex work is now very much a part-time income for me. Oh my gosh, what a hustler. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. I'm so excited to have you because I like to think that we're Instagram friends as well. So I've been so pervy about your journey because like I obviously know what you do and what you get up to, but I'm like, how did you get here? What does that mean? Like, obviously... I know what your Instagram is and we're not going to share it, but obviously you are very successful in this industry and do a lot. So it makes sense that a majority of your income comes from OnlyFans and then the in-person sex work is kind of like part-time now. Like, that's cool. Did you see that coming? No. And yeah, it's nothing I ever could have imagined. I started OnlyFans just to sort of get me through the lockdowns and the pandemic. Being an in-person sex worker, you can't really do that socially distanced. No, no. I heard it was pretty physical as a job. Yeah. (laughs) So with all the lockdowns and everything, I just had to really push my only events to sort of be successful. And it really has. It's taken off and it's so great. Like the lifestyle is really good. So it has taken over and I still see clients, but that's not my number one like mainstream of income now. Oh my gosh. Well, let's get straight into the structured questions and kick it off with Money Doris. Can you tell us a little bit about your money story? 
So growing up, I had two like really hardworking parents. They both did shift work. We had a nice home and me and my siblings, we all got to do like dancing and like gymnastics, whatever we wanted to do. Aside from that, we didn't really have much else, but like we had more than enough, really. My parents would often like talk about money in front of us, but I just remember always hearing, we're so broke, we're so broke, we're so broke. And in hindsight, I don't think my parents were ever so broke. They just, yeah, I'm not sure where they put their money. They were pretty good with it though, to be honest. Like looking at them now, they've, you know, they've got a house paid off and they've got a good chunk of super and stuff like that. So that's what money was like growing up for me. Yeah. So talk to me about how, when you were 15, you found yourself in government housing. Like how did you go from this beautiful lifestyle that you just explained to going, all right, now I'm in government housing because of a turbulent home life. Like what happened, my friend? Yeah. So they were like, they're good. They're great hard workers and I have a great relationship with them now. But as a teenager, my mum had lots of physical and mental health issues and it was very, very turbulent. (laughs) And I got kicked out of home. My older sister left. My other sister ended up getting kicked out as well. And it was all sorts of fun. So (laughs) it was, it's weird because we kind of came from like a decent home, but it was, we had a really rough like teenage years. So yeah. So into government housing. (laughs) That's a really interesting juxtaposition. How did you deal with that? Because I feel like going from a lifestyle that you just explained to going to government housing and having to have your own income and then obviously deciding at 18 to drop out, that's a very big shift. How did you deal with that? Were you okay? (laughs) I've always been like really independent. Looking back, I probably did go through like moments of like depression and stuff like that. But at the time I didn't really understand my own feelings and I didn't recognize like what depression was. But like looking back, I probably definitely experienced it as a teenager, but I was always really independent. I had a part-time job. So I just picked up extra shifts there. I was happy to work and that sort of thing. So I had a lot of, a lot of good like friends as well at the time. So that was really good. Yeah. I love that. All right. Next question, my friend, I think we already got here, but what do you do for work? And the juicy part, how much money do you earn? <laughs> so I do OnlyFans and I do in-person like sex work. So I'm an escort. Mm-hmm. It varies a lot. So I average between five and 10 K a week, but that's because I have like, I have two kids. I don't really work too hard. If I wanted to work harder, I could definitely. What do you mean you don't work too hard? You're like, oh, five and 10K a week, but I don't work hard. I'm like, what? I know. That's beyond most people's wildest dreams. Yeah, I'm pretty lazy. I only really work like I do one booking a day roughly, but that's all I really need to do. And like, I've got such a busy home life. It's a perfect like balance. There has been times where I've worked a lot harder and you know, made double or triple that in a week. But generally speaking, between 5 and 10K. Oh my gosh, cool. Can you tell us about the breakdown of that? So how much of that is OnlyFans and how much of that is in-person sex work? I find it really hard to focus like on two things at once. So like if I have a week with lots of escort bookings, then I find my OnlyFans takes a massive dip. Or if I find I don't have many escort bookings one week, then I can focus my time on my OnlyFans and then that goes up. So it really depends week to week, but like it just depends on what I'm focusing on or what's like busier that week. But 
Yeah, so some weeks it's more OnlyFans. Like, it really just depends. So ebbs and flows depending on where you're focusing your energy. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, cool. I find this so interesting. Tell me next, my friend, what is your big money goal? So settling the two investment properties. So we bought them 18 months ago, but they haven't settled yet. So I'm just putting money towards, like making sure I've got the 20% deposits on both of them. That's a long settlement period. Is it two properties in one purchase or is it two separate properties with just really long settlements? They're two separate properties. The settlement has just been delayed they're like townhouses, so they'll settle. It's Is that like called turnkey, I think, maybe? Yeah, oh, yeah. so you're building, yep, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, so I put the 5% deposit down and then I don't pay anything until like I'm ready to have tenants move in basically. So, yeah, it's a long time, but they've got to like settle the land and build as well. Yeah, that yeah. Made, I was like, normally when you purchase settlements, like 30 to 90 days, and I was like, oh my God, 18 months, what happened? No, yeah, it was like, yeah, it's off the plan, basically. Yeah. Yeah, epic. All right, next question. And I feel like the answer is yes, because you just told us about your properties, but do you have any investments? If so, what are they? So yeah, I would include the two townhouses that I just told you about. I've really been focusing on my super the last two years because mostly being self-employed throughout my life, I've definitely ignored that. I feel like that's a very common thing with people who are self-employed to just completely forget their super, that regardless of what type of job you do, it is a priority and a massive one. Totally. And like my dad would always like tell me like, make sure you're putting money in your super. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it was always a thing like, yeah, when I've got more money, when I can afford it, I'll start putting money into my super. But I'm super glad that I've been able to sort of really focus on that and sort of get that up to sort of like an average, I guess, for my age. Finally, it feels really good. I'm like, oh, phew. (laughs) And I'd like to buy shares, but I'm really uneducated on them. So they're completely like worthless now. <laughs> I bought Airtasker shares when they first came out and they were like $1.30 and now they're like like two cents. <laughs> oh, really? They're really shit. <laughs> <laughs> what made you purchase Airtasker shares? Like what made you go, you know what, I'm going to get into the share market. This is my entry level share. Why Airtasker? I haven't got a clue to be honest I think I just like read probably on Reddit somewhere that they were like IPOing and at the time I was just like ADHD super focusing on shares and I was like okay great this sounds like a good one Oh, we've all been there. Like I shouldn't have been it on the podcast, but like I do super focus on particular shares and I've made some really good decisions. But sometimes I'm like, Victoria, why are you even looking at this? Like that makes no sense. It does not align to your risk profile. But that is very exciting. The next question for you is, do you have any debt? If so, how much and what for? I have tax debt. I had like a six month mental health holiday last year. And it cost me a fortune and I wasn't putting any like tax aside at the time. So I have a bit of tax debt. I feel like being self-employed, I feel like so many people find themselves in tax debt. Like I definitely have on multiple occasions. I'm trying to be so much better with it, but yeah, I'm just a bit behind on tax at the moment. But yeah, just tax and my mortgage. I need to get you onto my bookkeeper, but we'll take that conversation offline, my friend. Next question is, do you use ShopBack? No, I don't. I'm too basic for that. <laughs> you are not too basic. You downloaded Chrome to do this podcast interview. So now all you need to do is get the ShopBack extension and then you're set to go because it's automatic. It's the best money win I've ever heard of. Okay. I'll download it. 
<laughs> Next question is, what do you think is your best money habit? Probably setting like really high goals. Like when we put our deposit down on our block of land, we didn't have any money to our name. And like just being able to come up with a lot of money really quickly, (laughs) you know, is great. (laughs) That's not too bad. Being able to make money is a good thing. Yeah. Probably my ability to make lots of money is my best money habit. I don't know. Hey, that's a pretty good money habit. I feel like all of us want that. We want to be like, we are able to make bank. Like, Jess, is that not something you want to be able to say consistently? Uh, That's the definite dream. Yeah, exactly. So to flip that on its head, what's your worst money habit then? Budgeting, 100%. Like, I consider myself like a high income earner. And to someone who earns that much money, I'm always like having to borrow money off my friends because I like am just so bad with managing my money. Oh my gosh. It sounds like you need our budget and cash flow masterclass stat. I could probably do it with that. (laughs) I will get you on to that. Next question. What grade would you give your money habits if we forced you to give yourself a grade? A Z. (laughs) A Z. Why a Z? Oh, I don't think we've ever had a Z on the podcast. (laughs) I think the easy come, easy go of my money has like fostered really bad money habits for me. And I think the only reason I have gotten to where I am in life is because I've had a high income for so long. But I'm like, I definitely haven't worked out how to budget. I haven't worked out how to save. (laughs) I haven't worked anything out. So I do have to ask, what are you doing with that money then? Because if you're earning between five and $10,000 each and every single week, I don't know if you've calculated this, but that's between $260,000 and $520,000 each and every single year. My friend, what are you doing with that money? Yeah, good question. I just spent a lot on an overseas holiday. Well, at the moment I'm saving. Like I am saving quite aggressively to the point where like I can't eat, you know, on the last day before I get paid because I've saved too much money that week. Like (laughs) that's what I mean. Like I'm really bad with money, but like I do set pretty good goals like buying houses and stuff like that and like putting heaps of money into my super the last two years and stuff like that. I don't think you're a Z. I think we can do better than that. But I want to talk to you more in detail about your work and what you do and how much money you earn. And also you mentioned ADHD before, but we'll do that after this really quick break. All right, we are back, Money Diarist. You have what we would call a very colourful career. And the most exciting part of your career for me as a financial advisor is the part where you can scale your income based on just how much you want to work. And I mean, it's one of those things where I look at a lot of freelancers and the same's true. But for you, you can go from earning $5,000 a week to earning $10,000 a week to earning double that, depending on, I guess, how much time, energy and effort you just want to put into your work. And as you said before, you were like, oh, I'm pretty pretty lazy. I just don't want to do that much. I'll just do one a day and basically work part-time, which to be honest is the dream. How did you get to this point? Because I feel like the industry you work in, sex work, is very shrouded with people saying like, oh my gosh, it's not good. It's, you know, something that, you know, you're never going to earn as much as you think you're going to earn. Whereas you are literally showing everybody that that is not the case at all. Yeah. So the reason why I got into sex work is because I just wanted this lifestyle. Like I wanted lots of time in my day to do whatever I wanted. That was my whole motivation. I grew up like in the outer suburbs, like in a really nice like area. And that's all I wanted for myself. So like I grew up in like a pretty sort of modest like lifestyle and that's all I really like aspired to. And I was pretty happy 
And like being a mum, and I was a single mum for a couple of years as well, it's just really allowed me to like get ahead, I suppose. Like I didn't have anything. I, you know, I spent all my money traveling when I was younger. So when I had my oldest son, again, I had no money. So it's just allowed me to sort of, you know, get a couple of steps ahead and still be there for my kids and have time to do the things I want to do. I feel like you're living your own dream lifestyle. Would that be would that be hitting the nail on the head? I am. Yeah, it's not for everyone, but <laughs> All right, talk to me about your budget and your cash flow though. Like why are you earning so much money and not prioritizing putting this in place? You mentioned before and it's something that I've resonated with you not because we've discussed it before, but because I feel like I can pick a personality that's very similar to mine and that is ADHD. You mentioned that sometimes you do deep dives on things and get really hyper-focused on one thing. How has that impacted your ability to do budget and cash flow and the work that you do? I can definitely set a goal and like hyper-focus on the goal and that'll be the only thing I think about for months on end. I recently did that with like my trip to America and I ignored everything else in my life for a couple of months. (laughs) I had bills like overdue and everything. I'm like, that's okay. That can just wait. Yeah, ADHD is um, fun. <laughs> oh, it's a dream. I love having it not. Yeah, yeah. But I've definitely found, like, for me, sex work and ADHD, like, two peas in a pod, you know. Like, if you are, like, having a bad day or a bad week or, like, a whole bad period, you know, like, it's not the end of the world. You've normally got, like, a bit of cash reserve to sort of prop you up for a couple of weeks to just get through whatever you're going through at the time. Yeah. Although like if you do have a goal, you can hyper-focus and just smash out lots of work and, you know, pay for whatever you want. (laughs) You said before that partially because of your ADHD, you know, budgeting is definitely up there with what you would call your worst habits. Has that gotten worse for you as you've started earning more? Because we talk about a lot on the show, you know, lifestyle creep, where in you earn more money, you spend more money. Have you found that now that you do have more disposable income, that's kind of aggravated your bad habits when it comes to budgeting because you can kind of push your cash further? No, actually, I'd say it's the opposite. The way I earn money, so as a sex worker, a lot of the money I earn is through cash, but if I'm earning it online, it goes straight into my bank account. And seeing the numbers in my bank account, I can pay bills a lot easier. I don't know, it's a lot better as I've gotten older and my income's changed from cash income to, like, in my bank account income, because if it's in my bank account, I can just log on and pay a bill. Whereas when it's cash, like I have to go to the bank and bank it and do all that. And it's just, that's like just too many steps, you know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I totally know what you mean. It sounds a lot like everything that you've said through your diary has been super positive. You have this really infectious, upbeat energy around you. I want to ask, because we do try and show, you know, the shade and the light, what are some of the challenges that you found working in the industry that you work in? How does it go being a mum, juggling kids and then sex work? What challenges would you want people to know about before they kind of look into jumping into this kind of work themselves? It depends on what your networks are. Like you're possibly going to have falling out with family or friends. You know, if you've got like another career, like how could this potentially affect your other career? Those sorts of things. Kids as well, you have to consider like what's going to happen, you know, if their friends find out, that sort of thing. And yeah, and I guess you just have to weigh up like, the chance to make money in the sex industry, does all the pros outweigh the cons for me? So for me, definitely, because 
I don't really have any fallback or anything else to fall back on. Like I started sex work when I was 18 and this is like a forever thing for me. This is what I want to do. But it's put me in like such a different financial situation that I ever could have dreamt of. There's nothing like that would stop me. There is a few other bad things. The financial discrimination that we face as sex workers. So often sex workers will have their bank accounts closed down. It's really hard to get mortgages. You can't have payment processes on any of your websites. So those things are really annoying and really tricky and we don't fall under any anti-discrimination acts. That actually blows my mind. It wasn't until a few years ago that I was talking to clients and I was like, oh my gosh, you should just use like Stripe or you should just use some kind of platform like Square Reader or something. Surely you can plug that into your website and it'll make your life so much easier. And one of my clients was like, Victoria, do you know we can't have that? And I was like, what? She's like, I signed up for it and it got cancelled and then they took all the money that was in there. And I was like, what? watch. Like I had no idea that it was so hard, but it's a legal career in Australia. Like it is a job that you are legally able to do. Do you know why they're so discriminatory? Like that to me is insane. They see it as like a high risk industry, which I don't agree with. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I think they see it as like potential for a high amount of chargebacks, but I don't know. (laughs) I actually don't know before. I've reached out to a platform before to get comment and have a chat and be like, I'd love to understand this further, but I didn't hear back. So to me, it just sounds insane that you can't have the freedom to just process payments the way you would want to. And I think this is a challenge that most people don't understand exists. It's also around getting home loans and getting mortgages and people not respecting that as a genuine career, even though you'll go, well, you know what, at the crux of it, I'm a sole trader. I earned this amount of money and I can prove it for the last five financial years and my bookkeeping is clean. Like it is really easy. Look at it. And they'll still look at that and go, oh, but it's sex work. Can you go, but it's real work. Like I don't understand. Yeah. That's the one of the most like tricky things for me as a sex worker to get my head around because we do all of these things, but at the end of the day, like my bank account can be closed down tomorrow. Right. And so, like, society has this huge issue with sex workers paying tax. It's like, okay, great, but to pay tax, I need to have a bank account. And paying yeah. tax for my business, like, I want to get something yeah. out of it, like a mortgage. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I genuinely want to contribute to this society. I want to pay taxes. Like, please let me do that. Let me I'm not trying to scam the system. This is good, honest sex work. Are there accountants that specialise in your industry? Do you have an accountant that, like, knows all the ins and outs and the, the challenges like the bank account thing that sex workers have? Yeah, there is accountants that specialise in the industry. But again, like I don't, I think there's there's ways around it. You've got to get like a someone who can help you with like a broker and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, yeah, you just have to get creative, which is, you know. That's so interesting. I'd never thought about that being like a challenging part of it because like Victoria said, it's you go, it's a job, it is what it is. Like people are doing the work, they're getting paid for it and that should kind of be the end of the conversation. And I get that, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's crazy to think that 
businesses can, you know, make those choices that really impact your ability to operate and there's no laws against that. I mean, if you're not doing anything wrong, I don't see why they should be able to just pull the plug on your bank account. And I think it really contributes as well, and maybe you might agree with this, I feel like it contributes to the stigma because it stops you from legitimising your business in a way that means that you can talk about it more openly or, you know, share your structures or share what's going on or just go, oh, no, this is legit, this is how it's set up, this is how it is. Like people are like, oh, well, you're not allowed to do that. Like that to me just feels like it's a step in the wrong direction. Like, guys, it's 2022. We yeah. can do that if we want to. Like, it's not as though this is outlawed here in Australia. This is a genuine stream of employment. Like, you can pick it when you do your tax return from the drop-down menu. It's not something that isn't recognised. So I don't understand why platforms don't support you. And to be honest, I think it would create a safer sex work environment if you were able to have that backup, right? Like if you were able to process payments through a third party platform. So if something doesn't go right, you are protected in the same way I would be if I went and did a financial advice meeting. Yeah. And same with like income protection and like all the insurances in our superannuation. Absolutely not. Like I've checked, emailed them and I've gotten confirmation like, no, like sex work is not covered. There is no way around it. So it's not. So I'm pretty sure you can have life insurance, but TPD, trauma insurance and income protection are all quite cagey around sex work because they just think it's too high of a risk industry for them to cover. And I mean, from my point of view, I can see where they're coming from, but I also can't see where they're coming from because the things they say, like I'll talk to underwriters and I'll be like, I don't understand. Like, she's a sex worker, why won't you cover her? Because I always go into bat for my clients. And even if I've had the conversation before, I want to be able to say, no, money diarist, I literally called them again and they're still unwilling. But they'll say it's super high risk, like the chance of STDs are really high. And I'm like, have you ever met a sex worker? Like, do you realize that the chance that they have an STD is so much lower than the general population? Like, I am higher risk. Like, you don't ask me how much I sleep around in my, you know, income protection applications, but you'll jump to a conclusion about a sex worker when in reality I can guarantee you a lot of the the general public are being a lot less safe. So I feel like it's just very counterintuitive and very driven by stereotypes, which is just blatantly unfair. It's so unfair. I'm so annoyed about it. (laughs) Yeah, look, I share your frustrations, but I want to go back to something you said before. Like when you chose this industry, you had to be aware of, you know, maybe your family or friends not accepting it or, you know, people judging you or people from your children's school or their friends finding out. How have you dealt with that? Is that something that's really hard for you? As I've gotten older, no. But when I was younger, yeah, it was hard because like I knew I was making the best decision for me. You know, growing up as someone with ADHD, it was so hard to focus in school. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like life's just going to be so hard for me. I just know it. As soon as I found out about sex, I was like, oh, this is my chance to like live a normal life and be okay. Like I'm going to be fine now thanks to sex work. And because I started so young, I didn't expect my friends to really understand and they dropped me and that was really hard. Like it was quite isolating. You know, there's no hard feelings. We've actually, we've actually all reconnected now. <laughs> so, oh, I love that. Nice. Yeah, that's nice. I told my family a few years later and that all went down like really fine. My mum was just like, oh, I wish I did that before I met your dad. <laughs> she's like you child you're really smart yeah yeah so my family are pretty like liberal 
cool and like very much like me. So, you know, I was expecting that to be fine. My husband comes from a very, very conservative family. So I think they just think that I don't even have a job at the moment, which is really You're hard. a kept woman. <laughs> you are a kept woman. Yeah. <laughs> I think they think I'm just really lazy and don't do anything. <laughs> Which let I kind them of let am, them keep but like I also still bring the bacon. So. <laughs> but guys, guys, I'm still contributing to this family. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it was hard when I was younger, but now that I'm older and like I've got thick skin and I don't know, I just don't really care what people think of me either. So um it's fine now. I feel like I've obviously followed you and know your journey and your story and know that you have two kids and you have a loving husband, but I feel like that's such a juxtaposition to what people think the world of sex work is like. Do you find that this is pretty common? Like in the sex industry, lots of people are married with kids, but they don't promote it. They don't talk about it. That's not part of their online personas. Like, is that something as you were growing up, you were like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I will have a family and a husband because I've chosen this career path? Or were you always like, no, it's not going to matter? Yeah. I was actually talking about that with a girlfriend yesterday. Yeah. That that actually was part of, you know, the reasoning for a lot of my life's choices. I thought I'd never be loved and I would never find a partner, like I'm a sex worker, no one's ever going to accept me and stuff like that. We were just talking about it yesterday, how like wild it is that, you know, I've got this, you know, white picket fence, two and a half kids lifestyle (laughs) and I'm a sex worker. So I've got my cake and I'm eating it too. Like I've definitely got everything. (laughs) I genuinely feel like you do, especially because you said, oh, we just went on a family holiday to the US. Like that was really big. How, as a sex worker, did you travel to the US? Because I know that's a massive hurdle for a lot of my clients. Yeah. So part of the ESTAR requirements is you're not allowed to have been involved in prostitution in the last 10 years. And obviously like I am. So it's just like a punt, really. You just have to like go. There could be a chance you'll get in. There could be a chance you'll get sent home at the border. I was fully prepared to go and be sent home because I knew well and clear, like my face is all over the internet. They could have dirt on me. Like I could get sent home at the border. We had like plans in place for what my like husband and kids would do if that was the case. It was only like landing there. I was like, oh, I am absolutely not prepared to get back on a plane and go back to Australia. <laughs> I don't want this. I do not want this. I came all this way to be sent home. Yeah, but it was fine. I had, they didn't ask me any questions. I had no troubles getting in and I'm really, really grateful and really lucky for that because I know like sex workers get sent back all the time. So I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to like getting in. It's just, yeah, you just have to like play your cards right, I guess, and actually go there genuinely for a holiday. I think a lot of the time girls get sent back because they're going to and they're planning on working on a tourist visa. But if you're genuinely going for a holiday and you've got evidence of that, I think you should be okay. I mean, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to give travel advice. Yeah, definitely don't bank on it because I don't even have a clue. I find it really sad, honestly, that, you know, we talk about sex work at She's on the Money so openly and it's just another career that people in our community have and a job that people do and it doesn't matter here nor there to us and we just go, yeah, it's normal. But you start having these conversations with people in the industry and you realise how much discrimination still exists 
exists, like the ability for you to go overseas is hindered. Like you can't be open and honest about your career while traveling. Like that to me seems insane that if I was to go and put on my border entry pass to the US financial advisor, they'd look at me and be like, go home, sir, this isn't the place for you. I'd be horrified, but somehow we're not talking about the fact that all of our friends in the sex industry can't have payment platforms and can't travel freely and can't generate income in the same ways and get bank accounts shut down. Like this is an industry that if you're in, you've got to work really hard to stay in because they don't make it easy. Yeah. And like, these are things I've gotten so used to. Like I forget like how easy other people have it. I'm like, oh, it would be so nice to go to America and not have anxiety about getting sent home and thrown into an immigration prison. (laughs) That risk would have stopped me from even going at all. I would have been like, absolutely not. I'm not a risk taker. I get anxious when a policeman drives past me in their car off duty. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to get arrested? I don't understand. In fact, Jess and I were crossing the road the other day (laughs) and they were, you know, when in the CBD, they do their traffic control training and they like stop traffic and like you ignore the traffic lights. I was standing there like being like to Jess, can I cross? And Jess was like, oh, I don't think so. You can't go yet. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be arrested. And the girl just looked at me and she was like, you're not going to get arrested. Don't worry. And I was like, thank you. Let me go to the shops. Bye. (laughs) But it was one of those things where I feel like your career would be full of anxieties because you're just trying to do the right thing and just make a career for yourself and look after your kids and look after your husband and, you know, have a life that you enjoy and you deserve to have because you've worked so hard for it. Yeah. And there's so many things just in everyday life where you have to like, you know, even just writing down your occupation details for like school enrollments or daycare enrollments. I'm like, well, if I write the truth, are they going to, what are they going to do? Like, (laughs) And how are they going to judge your kids? Like, I'm assuming it's not necessarily you anymore because you said before, I've got a thick skin. I don't really care what you think of me, but are they going to treat your kids differently in school once they find out mum's a sex worker? Yeah. So these are all the things you have to consider. And I guess being in the industry for so long, like I've kind of forgotten like what it would be like to not live without all these weird anxieties and stuff like that. But yeah, if you're considering getting into sex work, yeah, the money is great, but there is a bit of a trade-off sometimes. And I feel like that's the same for every career, right? Like in every career trades time for money and there's always some level of additional compromise, whether it is, you know, your safety or your security or, you know, working overtime or, you know, not being treated well or not earning enough money and working too many hours. Like I feel like there's compromise in every industry. It just breaks my heart to think that yours has additional compromise when it's already so hard. Money Diarist, thank you for joining us. But unfortunately, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, no. Thank you for sharing your story and your journey. I feel like I've learned a lot, but also had a pervy insight to what it's like to be a sex worker who has a white picket fence, 2.5 kids, gorgeous husband, and still goes out and makes absolute bank while still having a great lifestyle. Like, I just feel like you're living the dream, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. Definitely my dream, yeah. (laughs) Jess, do you want to wrap the boring but important stuff? Absolutely. Don't forget, guys, the advice shared on She's on the Money is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. She's on the Money exists purely for educational purposes and should not be relied upon to make an investment or a financial decision. And don't forget, Victoria Devine and She's on the Money are authorised representatives of InFocus Securities Australia Proprietary Limited, ABN 47097 797 049, AFSL 236 523. See you on Wednesday, guys. Bye.